Hello and welcome to the Strength Save Podcast. Strength Save is a podcast where two nerds talk about their journey to live healthier lives and the games they love. During the first couple of episodes, you'll hear us refer to the podcast as Slothcast, or the podcast yet to be named. When we recorded those episodes, we hadn't decided on a name yet, so we just wanted you to be prepared. Thank you for joining us on this journey. We hope it helps. Welcome to the Strength Save Podcast. I am your host, Blaine Martin. With me, as always, my co-host, Christopher Zumski. Hey, Chris, how's it going? Hello, and welcome to the Strength Save Podcast. Let me talk to my always host, Blaine Martin. How are you doing, Blaine? <laughs> I'm doing great, thank you. Uh, it's been... Uh, <laughs> too long, too long. It's been too long. Uh, it's been a week or two of, of craziness. But we had Thanksgiving recently, although when you hear this episode, that will have been three months ago. Yeah, it is now Febtober, or... Yes. Feb- <laughs> Febember. Welcome to hell. Yeah. We're, we're hoping this reaches to you in the early month of February 2021, where the hell that was 2020 has come and gone. Yeah, and you-, you are one month into... I'm sure a whole host of New Year's resolutions that are now getting tougher and tougher to hold on to. If you've made it this far, congratulations. And guess what? We're here to sort of help. (laughs) To to lend whatever quote-unquote sage advice uh, that we, we can give you. Well, it's not just sage advice. It's also a shoulder to lean on. It's to let you know that Guess what? You're not the only one trying to improve yourself, get fit, be better overall. And most people can get through that first month of whatever New Year's resolution you have hit. But once you hit February, it just all starts to fall apart. The results carry you through for a good couple of weeks. You're feeling better. You have more energy. Uh, you wake up and can actually get out of bed within the first 10 minutes of waking up. Your lower back doesn't hurt, which is in fact your kidneys because you're dehydrated or some other nonsense. But then after a couple of weeks of feeling good, then you see a cheesecake or fried chicken. You see a cheesecake, but the other thing you will also have is what is in the nomenclature called plateauing. You have that Quick initial success, which triggers your reward centers. And then all of a sudden, depending upon the f- your fitness level and what you're trying to accomplish, in most cases, in about a month, you will plateau. All of a sudden, the gains you are making, whether it's the gain of losing weight or the gain of increasing muscle mass, it could be something completely different, though. It could be the fact that your New Year's resolution was to write more. All of a sudden, you know, you sit down in front of the computer every day and you write for a good half hour to an hour. All of a sudden, you're drying up. All those great ideas you had, you have birthed them 
And now you're staring at that cursor, blinking. Always blinking. So what are we here to help you with? Cheat days. Oh, the cheat day. Oh, the cheat day. Now, this originally uh, was an idea by me, and it was based off dieting. But now in my diatribe, I realize that a cheat day can count toward any personal goal you have. The trick is, when you have that cheat day, you do it in moderation. You let off that pressure just enough, but don't let it discourage you. Yeah, it's important to make sure cheating is a natural part of any any new routine, whether that be dieting, whether that be exercising, whether that be writing more, whether that be reading more. There are always going to be days where it just it's not happening. You want to pick up a book, but you can't. You want to type out a couple pages of your new novel, but you can't. You want to stick to your diet, but you just it's life gets in the way. Because let's be honest, ultimately what you're doing is like Blaine and I are doing right now is a complete lifestyle change to a certain extent, depending upon what your goals are. For the two of us, and for hopefully the listeners, in this case, it is health-related. We're trying to lose weight, trying to live longer and healthy lives. Cannot hate every day of my life because things ache. Yes. When you look in the mirror, not hate yourself. Little things like that. So our examples initially, I think, will with cheat days, can be routinely applied because it is... More of a psychological mindset than it is just a pure, oh, well, make sure, like, oh, you want pizza, so you have this pizza instead. No, 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 no. This is more of at least my personal approach I want to discuss because you can have pressure reliefs valves where it's like, oh, well, you're on the keto diet. Buy these particular brands of ice cream because they're more keto friendly. Yes, you can do that. That is a good example of something you can do. But in general, when you're trying to alter the habits that you've the the habits that you've developed over years that have a negative impact on your life. But guess what? They're comfortable and there's that little bit of serotonin release when you do the thing. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think I don't think you get into the shape that we're in without having some kind of unhealthy hang ups revolving around food. And so Becoming healthier isn't just about dropping pounds. It's about renegotiating your relationship with food and health. And part of that is understanding that it's not bad to eat those unhealthy things that you love. Uh, if you like pizza, it's not bad to have pizza on occasion. What is bad is when you order a Domino's pizza and shove it in your face in one day. Yes. When you should have one to two slices, you have one to two medium pizzas. Because it's two for ten bucks or some nonsense. Yeah, I mean, I can't pretend that I have never ordered a Domino's pizza and finished it in one sitting. Please, please. Uh. This podcast wouldn't exist if we were both healthy boys. (laughs) It'd be a different version with nerdy stuff attached to the end. Yeah. Like, oh, how do you get better gains and get more swole podcast with nerdy stuff as we lift strong weights? Yeah, instead, it's just, how how do you stop being a fat ass? 
how do you stop killing yourself softly with with dough? Oh, but it's so good. I'm just imagining us laying in bed and just dough laying on our face, slowly smothering us to death. Because yeah, in that's, reality, that's what it is. It really is. I mean, uh, my 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 poor relationship to food is. 90% carbohydrate based. Uh, so if there is something that's slowly smothering me, it is a loaf of yeasted dough. Yeah, yeasted dough with, with extra sugar sprinkled on top. Oh, yeah. But like I said, it's important to understand that like it is, it is fine to occasionally eat the things you love because if you love them, they are not innately bad. It is just your relationship to them that might need some tweaking. And ultimately, the trick is, as you're having these this diet or whatever, whatever it is triggers you, the trick is, at least for some people, write it down. Like, all of a sudden, well, at what point of your day do you're like, hey, you know what? I feel like shoving a bunch of pizza in my mouth, or I want to eat unhealthy. When does it happen? For me, my example is... It's after a long work day. And I'm like, you know what? I've worked all day. I was outside. I was in the cold. I deserve a treat. And you know what my treat shouldn't be? A pack of Twizzlers. An entire pack of Twizzlers. Not like the kinds you get at like a convenience store. No, no. Like the family size pack. While yes, I'm the, waiting. the one that says share pack just yeah. to mock you because who the fuck shares share. them? Yeah, and then on top of it, I'm eating that while I'm cooking like a heavy pasta dish or something for dinner, which I will, because God forbid if you don't have freaking garlic bread with oh, no. my pasta I mean, dinner. Yeah, I mean, you need, to have, carbs you need to have some kind of other carb to dip into your sauce when there's, when you finish consuming <sighs> the base carb of the dish, how are you going to sop up all of that sauce but without <laughs> Yeah. So needless to say, these are extreme, but also real examples of not doing it right. (laughs) Yeah. I I wish that we could pretend that these things had never happened. Uh, But I feel like I I know they have happened to me. Um, And I'm sure our listeners have had days like that, too. The intensity in the recording waves that I'm watching between us. (laughs) It's spiking as we're talking about this. So this is a solid example of, okay, you want to cheat. You you want these bad things. But you, guess what? Rational mind part of you knows, it, knows it's bad. So how do you deal with it? Planning ahead. Yes. Yeah, that is, I think, the biggest... For me, the biggest thing that helps is scheduling cheat days. And guess what? It's not just scheduling cheat days, though, because scheduling is a good idea. But also having emergency stuff at your house, just in case. Like, if you know you have this deep hankering for Italian food that just comes out of nowhere, maybe you you have a can of, like, low-sugar pasta sauce just readily available sitting in a can in your refrigerator that you know will last for a couple months and having that will be enough to scratch the itch 
without having to like get a hunk of garlic bread on top of it and like you get enough of that to trigger your brain and be like oh this is exactly why i want it but it doesn't have all the negative impact for example in keto i think not your mama's pasta sauce is a keto friendly one that's a good one yeah and i've had two or three different types all enjoyable now blade i gotta ask you have you tried because it was on the um, was it shark tank or something where it was originally introduced it's palmini i don't think so what is what is palmini is palm hearts okay cut into strips like fettuccine hence palmini all right and it comes in a can you can eat it out of the can if you feel like it if you're a monster or you can drain it and treat it like like a pasta and cook it for like five to ten minutes get it warm and a little bit softer and it's a little bit heartier than like a fettuccine but definitely it gives you that it scratches that itch how is the how is the chew i guess would be the that is the biggest thing i have found it is as i've made palmini because it's palm heart which is why i recommend you cook it because it loosens it up a bit it's more fibrous because okay. it is a ve- it's a vegetable so but it has a nice bite to it yes Excellent. if you wanted a super al dente pasta palmini that is, I like my, I like my pasta al dente, and I tried, I tried making a keto pasta recipe I found that was like an almond flour pasta, Ugh, no, and no, it no. was so soft. It was, I mean, it was basically it just, it was like I had made regular pasta but cooked it for like ten minutes too long, mm. which was not. It was very bad. The flavor, the flavor was all right. Like I'm not going to say it was amazing. It wasn't terrible, but the texture was just. It was. Everything Gross. I dislike in pasta. So knowing that there is a like a chewy pasta option out there, I will definitely have to try that because that is definitely for me one of trigger foods. And I've uh, personally had the linguine version, but apparently now they also have a lasagna, ooh. angel hair, and rice. Apparently, ooh. which is brand new. But the, uh, this is as originally on Shark Tank. But they've okay. started pushing out on like Oz, Women's Health, Business Insider, and stuff. So basically, it takes you know palm heart and cuts it into the desired shape. Okay. And it has it's a heartier version, but it is it is four grams of carbs per serving, which is exactly what you want with a keto dish. Yeah, that's a really good. That is a nice low carb carb count. I have been the one thing that you turned me on to that is a little bit higher in carbs. So it's not like a gorge yourself, but is a nice alternative is the Whole Foods brand almond flour tortillas. Oh, God, I will swear by those things, especially like if you want a nice like breakfast burrito in the morning or something. Yeah. And those are I think it's like 14 carbs for two of them. So it's not. Like it's low carb enough to be part of the keto diet, but it is not it's not yeah. like four grams of carb pasta that you can like go a little bit crazy on and be fine. Like two of those tortillas is the most you can really do in a day. But they are I'd use them not just for making like tacos or breakfast burritos, but like 
I make like faux sandwiches now with them where I'll put some like ham or turkey and cheese and make like oh, a yeah. quesadilla. And the crunch is part of the problem I find with keto uh, and where my resilience, I think, starts to wane the most with keto is the texture. It's hard to find something that is truly crunchy on yes. keto. <laughs> That's because half the stuff is just cheese based. So yes, it's cheese, got a little cheese almond flour. And so like every everything that's like a substitute is always just a little bit softer than I'd like. And those those tortillas get a real nice crunch on them when you fry them up in a pan. So they're great for making quesadillas and stuff like that, which for me helps uh like you said just having something that reminds me of the before times. Yeah. Before times, before the 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 before the dark times that is this quarantine yeah uh, anyway but yeah and stuff like uh what is the company that makes the keto ice cream i really like is it enlightened which one is because i've i've had rebel okay it is yes enlightened makes a keto ice cream that they make a really good butter pecan keto ice cream uh, if you like and- a good butter pecan rebel makes good butter pecan <laughs> I'll have to try that too, because it's like I think generally it's like three, two or three carbs per serving, depending on depending on the flavor you get. And so, like, you shouldn't eat a whole pint. No, but even if you splurge and do eat the whole pint, you're still probably going to just barely go over your carbs. Because if it's you know three or four carbs, there's four servings to a pint. So you're still day you had. Yes, which are like those are the nice the days where I like to cheat a little bit outside of my scheduled cheat days are the days where I've gone super low carb the rest of the day. So like I've done bacon and eggs for breakfast. So I've got maybe like two carbs there and I've done like wings and a salad for lunch. So I've got like two or three more carbs there. So I've got like 20 some carbs to play with. And oh. those are the nights where like I'll make like a small bowl of popcorn. Because, like, you know, two tablespoons of popcorn seeds is going to give you maybe, like, 18 carbs worth of popcorn. And that's one of, like, it's pre, pre-keto, pre it's my favorite, one of my favorite snacks of all time. Yeah. So it's a nice way to, like, even when it's not a scheduled cheat day, be able to be like, all right, here's a food that I really love. I've kept super low carb the whole day, so I can afford to have this this little bowl of popcorn. I just went on the Rebel creamery store apparently they're making ice cream sandwiches now oh god i'm yeah. definitely gonna try that out um <laughs> there's, so yeah, there's like, apparently a one-week wait at the moment oh god i guess i'm not surprised by that but yeah like having enlightened ice cream around has been really nice because then when i do a cheat day like i love ice cream it's one of my you know favorite cold snacks or sweet snacks and i have yet to get ice cream on a cheat day because i have this enlightened ice cream that's, you know, it's, I can tell it's not real ice cream, quote unquote, real ice cream. It's got the sort of boozy flavor of having a bunch of sugar alcohol, which is, and especially in ice cream is not a bad thing, but it, it doesn't have quite that ice cream texture. Yeah, um, it's got the more like fibrous, I guess is the best way to put it. Like a, yeah, it's a little, bit, little bit crumbly. Um, yeah. It's not quite like smooth like I expect ice cream to be, 
but like it scratches that itch enough that like i said i've yet to like on a scheduled cheat day go out and get like a pint of ice cream and shove it in my face like yeah. i was so want to do pre-keto and so having those kinds of things does makes it a lot easier when you do have a scheduled cheat day to like keep some of those cravings in line and then when you do a scheduled cheat day like if you want to have two or three slices of pizza have two or three slices of pizza don't i mean don't order a whole pizza from domino's because that's gonna lead to you eating a whole pizza from domino's or if you do pass it along to somebody else don't yes, keep it all sure, for yourself make sure you have friends uh that you can give some to if if covid is still raging do it socially distanced but yeah don't unless you can give it away don't order a whole pizza but if you want a slice or two have a slice or two cuz i think it is important part of part of changing your lifestyle versus just straight up dieting is acknowledging that you're going to have days where you're not going to eat perfectly and if you don't acknowledge that then there's the shame spiral when you do cheat because you're going to cheat yeah it's just a fact of nature you're going to cheat you're going to go to a party and there's going to be a a really nice looking cake there or you're going to go out with some friends and someone's going to get an order of fries and those fries are going to look fucking awesome and you're going to get an order for yourself it's going to happen and that's not bad you just need to acknowledge it because if you don't then you eat those fries and you feel like shit because you just cheated and you're an asshole and you're the worst and this diet is never going to work. And then at best you spiral off for a couple of weeks and come back or at worst you just, you're, you're done. Your diet plans are over because you're an asshole and you're never going to change. And that's not, that's not the truth of it. The truth of it is French fries are delicious and they have a place in your life just not with every meal correct because once again like i know blaine and i are using like using keto right now but in the end what we're trying to do is not push diets it's make a lifestyle change yeah i don't i I, keto works and this is true for both of us the type the type of foods we like to eat keto works well but it isn't a life. It's not a, a keto. Isn't despite what some people will tell you, keto. Unless you have health issues that require a keto diet, keto is not a lifestyle. It is a means to an end. And for us, we were both at a weight we didn't like, and keto is a great way to jumpstart weight loss. Correct. Because ultimately, what we what both of us want to do is what everyone should shoot for. Because a truly healthy lifestyle is one that is has a decent has is higher in protein, has healthy carbs, has good monosaturated fats. Basically eating food that hasn't been highly processed. Yeah. Your body like the fact of the matter is your body needs carbs. It needs an energy source. Keto if you if you stayed on keto forever. Once you don't have any fat left on your body, then your body is going to start going after muscle, which is bad. You don't want, you need instant energy from carbs to keep your body from cannibalizing itself. When you have a lot of excess fat, like myself, keto is great at first because it targets that fat directly. 
because you're starving your body of the energy of carbs. But long term, you don't want to do that. But you do want to make sure that the carbs you put in your body are the right kind are healthy carbs, uh, or at least healthier carbs. And I know, like I said earlier, a, a large part of my unhealthy relationships with foods are carb related. So cutting out carbs for a little while is a good way for me personally to to rebuild my relationship with carbohydrates. All right. So I think the consensus we can make here is like, listen, guys, you're going to have cheat days. There are going to be days where you fall off the wagon. Just realize that you're ultimately not striving to have a diet. Your goal isn't to hit some pie-in-the-sky weight loss. What you're really trying to do is better yourself, and you're doing it by eating properly and getting in the right headspace. Because ultimately, people who abuse food are doing it for a reason. There's there's something there, whether it's how you react to stress or sadness or anger. Your relationship with food is it likely in some way flawed. And you use food as a way to feel control in moments where you don't have that control you want. In cheat days, it's almost better to not think of cheat days as cheat days, but they are days that you know you are enjoying the food that you love, but you are reevaluating your relationship with them. So in the end, you can have them, just don't let them break you. Don't give up. Keep keep on the path. It is the right path. Never give up. Never surrender. Know that uh, you are not the only person struggling with these things. I, I don't know a single human being, no matter how healthy, who does not have days where they just want to eat some something delicious and fried. And they do. And there's nothing wrong with that. But if you let it derail you, that that is that is the true issue. Chris and I really hope you're enjoying the podcast. It is a labor of love, and we really hope it helps you on whatever path you're on and helps you find some new games to check out. If you like what you've heard so far, please consider rating and reviewing us on whatever podcatcher you use. It really helps other folks find us. If you want to get in touch, we are at StrengthSavePod on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Or you can email us at strengthsavepod at gmail.com. Now, let's talk about some games. Okay, I just quote a Galaxy Quest, so I yes. feel okay about that. I am, I, it is a, it's a completely acceptable quote. And I guess with that quote, that is a good just broche and just carries us on to our next topic. Yes, yes, perfectly in, a, in a, some sort of way. So this week, we're going to start what is going to be a, a, a couple-week topic. I'm just talking about different genres and, and styles of games that we like and talking about some examples of those styles that we really enjoy. And so we figured we would start with a discussion of a, a board game style that, or a game style in general that we both really like, which is the strategy game. So we're going to talk a little bit about strategy games that we really love, what we like about strategy games. Uh, and then in future weeks, we'll talk about other genres of games and give you some uh, some examples of games in that style that we we particularly like. Hopefully you'll enjoy hearing us talk about 
about these these topics. So, uh, so Chris, what is uh, what is one of your favorite game genres? Okay, thinking about starting off with the in the board game genre, I am a strategy whore. That's accurate. I, you are definitely. I, I know you. Uh, you definitely lean towards strategy games, and it's not just because I'm good at them. <laughs> it's true. I mean, you are very good at them, but even ones where I've, I like, I have seen you lose, you still have enjoyed yourself. Yes, it's. I guess if back in the day chess was the only board game available to me, I would be a chess person. But because there's just so many more options now. That is the board game I prefer. And I guess because with board games, everything is, I guess, a little bit slower. It's more methodical, but it's also more, in my opinion, more intimate in certain aspects. It just, I guess it's the preferred medium I prefer a strategy game in. Yeah, and I like. I think that makes makes sense to me and uh, like i one of the things that i i like about strategy games i wouldn't necessarily say strategy games are like my favorite board game genre uh but i do enjoy them quite a bit and what i do like about them is it removes at least some of the randomness from board games i find myself frustrated by board games that have too much randomness and if you if you're looking at kind of a line strategy games are definitely on the side of less random Oh yes, you. I mean, it depends upon the game, but the games I enjoy playing that are strategy games are the ones where the only randomness that is added to it is the human element. It depends upon who you're playing, because ultimately, in the end, it'll be your brain versus my brain and our understanding of the game itself, instead yeah. of rolling some dice and oh well you roll like shit so you lose (laughs) yeah because i definitely prefer and i mean like i love twilight imperium and i love axis and allies both of those games are games where the elements that i love the least are combat and that's the one element where where randomness enters in heavily and you still like there's still some some lowering of randomness compared to just pure dice rolls because you have different units that like succeed on different numbers. And so if you send in a number of units that all are hitting on higher numbers on more numbers against someone whose units are all hitting on lower numbers, you're probably going to win. But I think we've all had TI and Axis and allies combats where like, statistically it was like a 1% chance that we would lose and we still lost because there is still at least some element of randomness there. Oh yeah. Whereas a game like Scythe or Dune, you're using your, your, you know, gambling points or playing cards and stuff like that, that influence combat, which, uh, which, you can use table information to make decisions and you're you're significantly less likely to get blown out by like shitty luck. Yeah. Like Twilight Imperium is a good example of a strategy game I like and the part I'm only bad at 
is the random die rolls in combat. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I have seen you enter into combats that there is no feasible way you should have lost, and yet you still lost them. And then I've won entire games of Twilight Imperium that I've never fought a, a single battle in. Yeah, and Twilight Imperium is a good example, and we've talked about this quite a bit with you and I and uh, and Spike have talked about this a lot, where Twilight Imperium looks like a game that should be combat-heavy, uh, because it looks like Axis and Allies in space. You've got all of these pieces on a board, and so like it, it feels like a game where you should enter into combat a lot, and it's not. I mean, c- combat very except in very few scenarios where like you have a secret mission that's combat related combat's not how you get points yes now for the audience in case you don't know what it is twilight imperium is a strategy board game that is i guess the best way to describe it for readers out there it's almost like a space opera in a board game yes because you you have your fleets, you're trying to take control of the galaxy, but the biggest X factor in the entire game is the players themselves. Yeah, it is. If, if you don't know Twilight Imperium, possibly the best way, I think, to describe it is Game of Thrones in space, the board game. Yes, yes. It's a game of political intrigue where all of you are playing different factions who are vying for control of Mechatol Rex, the capital planet, and sort of by proxy then the rest of the galaxy. And you do that by making deals and researching technology and occasionally entering into space combat, and you're trying to gain the most points in order to be the ruler of the galaxy. Now, we haven't played with professional twilight imperium players so i'm sure there's some deep metas we're missing or if you play this faction you're guaranteed to win for the most part for us when we play with our group of friends it's either the most charismatic and or the sneakiest person yeah game ends up winning yeah that's pretty accurate but i think i mean i think that's a large part of it because so few points come from combat That, like, if you can be charismatic and you can be friendly with everyone, it is a good way to to win because you're constantly going to be trading, which is going to give you the points you need to to trigger a lot of the public objectives. It's going to make people a little bit less likely to attack you, which, again, like, combat's not a big way to get points, but it is a good way to slow down people who are taking the lead or or you do what I do and you just make a very intimidating fleet and then never use it. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's that's one of my go-to strategies too is just turtling in. Well, um and, which is why uh, I love playing the space turtles. <laughs> I I will disagree. You you turtle. I am a I'm aggressively pacifist. Like I take the passive aggressive maneuver where I'm like Oh, that's that space that nobody's in. I'm just going to move these five dreadnoughts like two steps away from like attacking somebody else. Like, what are you doing? I'm like, oh, I'm not, I just had to move them, so they're going there instead. Like, yeah, you, well, you spread out a little bit more. I tend to <laughs> to just take over a small small corner of the map and 
Yeah, you take it home. Sure, that no one will take that from me. I, I'm, I'm a wild card. I've realized. I will expand. I will be ruthless. I will give. I will make used car salesman deals with people to the point where it drives other players insane. <laughs> yeah, and I mean that's a great way to play TI. And it's interesting because I think like those are my favorite types of strategy games where like it's not pure it's strategy. Not, yeah, it's it's I mean there's strategy to how you use your social skills. Yes. Uh, which makes it kind of distinct from a game like chess, which is pure strategy and pure understanding what moves your opponent is most likely to make and always trying to think multiple steps ahead. In a game like Twilight Imperium or Diplomacy or Dune, yeah, it's important to do those things. It's important to think about what your opponents can do and what they're most likely to do. But there's also strategy in how you interact with people. Yes, um, and you know some people are more likely swayed by seeing an intimidating force of ships on the board. Some people are going to be more swayed by. You know, you being friendly and, and trading trade goods with them and things like that. And understanding those elements and using those to your advantage is a, a, a whole, is still strategic, but it's a whole different side of strategy than like pure abstract strategy. Yeah. It's not pure chess. It's chess with a social manipulation element to it, which is the game's. Ironically, I don't necessarily always prefer to play because ultimately when I play board game versions of social manipulation and whatnot, I'm immediately assumed to be evil all the time. It's true. <laughs> all um, without a doubt. They're like, oh, you're obviously the thing. You're obviously the imposter. You're obviously the bad guy. I'm like, no. Why, you why just did can't, you say that? You just can't tell the difference between when I'm lying and telling them the truth. That That terrifies the shit out of you. Yeah, I, I love I love strategy games. I think in like worker, I, I really love worker placement games, and I think worker placement games uh, certainly have elements of strategy to them. Oh, they most certainly do. I mean, the one thing like Twilight Imperium and Dune, the one thing we're also forgetting is there is that bit of RNG in there, which can yeah. throw people for a loop. Yeah, I mean, and that is the the randomness, and especially like in Dune, you have the sandstorm moving, which can completely like you could have thought three turns ahead, and then the sandstorm moves in the wrong direction, and you're fucked. Or the Harkonnens get the nuke the shield wall. Yeah, and in Twilight Imperium, then there's certainly like there's the randomness of combat, but then there's also the randomness of public objectives. Like we've seen plenty of games where like. University of Jolnar trounces everyone because like four of the tech public objectives come up. Yep. Um, and like if four, if four tech related public objectives come up, universities of Jolnar is almost impossible to beat. Good news though, with the expansion that is going to be out by the time this is released, they're adding more public objectives. So tech, instead of being like one third of the objectives, is going to be like one fifth or Thank less. God. Yeah, that definitely that is one of those things where, like, if someone's playing universities and I see a bunch of tech public objectives go up, I'm like, 
All right, just like, start murdering just, them. Let's just pack this up because what the fuck is the point of playing for six hours? No, you know what it is? You just immediately dogpile on the poor player that is the universities of Jolnar and kick their teeth in. Yeah, and then it's absolutely miserable for them through really no fault of their own. Like, it's not their fault that that many tech public objectives came up. Yeah. Uh, celebrating, certainly. And they should um, have been universities of Jolnar. It's true. But yeah, so like, and what secret objectives you get, like, certainly changes things up too. Cause I know I've certainly gotten plenty of, had plenty of games where no matter how much I try to dig through the secret objective deck, like, I just keep drawing secret objectives that don't fit my strategy for that game. Oh, Whereas yeah. you have other players, like, there are other games where within the first five turns, I've played all three secret objectives. So, I mean, because there's so many different pieces of Twilight Imperium, there's a lot of randomness built into just how things play out. But that's also nice because there are going to be times where, like, you know, you're playing the Universities of Jolnar and you get a shitty hand of secret objectives, but you don't care as much because there are four or five tech-related public objectives. Or oh, vice versa, yeah. where the public objectives just aren't going your way, but you get three really easy private objectives. So it is really like, there's so much randomness that it usually works out to kind of even the playing fields between all of the players. Unless you're more charismatic than everybody else there. <laughs> that yes. Is the, that, then, is the one, that is the one thing that, <laughs> that does break the social interaction games. Yes. Yeah, there is certainly it, it is it is easier to play a game like that, or you know you have games like Diplomacy where there's zero randomness in Diplomacy. It's entirely social interaction strategy where there are people that that's just not like that's not in their wheelhouse, and so they're not going to do well in games like that, or they're going to do worse in games like that because they don't or, have that skill set, or you just have. Spike yelling at people to stop Chris. He's evil. Stop listening to him. <laughs> yes, or you have that. <laughs> uh, I want to play some more Twilight Imperium now. Yeah, so do I. Yeah, so let's talk about uh, some video games, maybe. I, the, there, there's less. Well, is there any strategy? Strategic RPGs. I'm sure they exist, but not anything that like we play regularly. Yeah. So I think well, video games and board games. Well, is there, a, because of that, is there a strategy board game that you like more than, say, Twilight Imperium? Because that, I guess that was my good, kind of thing. Yeah. I don't know. I think Twilight Imperium, as far as like pure strategy games go, I think Twilight Imperium might be my favorite. I played a lot of Axis and Allies. Mm, God, that game. When I was younger. And I love Axis and Allies to death. I, but I think my style of play, like Twilight Imperium gives me all of the things that I like about Axis and Allies, while also adding a lot of, because I, I don't, weirdly love pure combat games and axis and allies is pretty much a pure combat game but i i still love it because i played it so much and i love i like twilight imperium's introduction of like non-combat elements now 
even though you say you don't like combat, I would I would like to make a pitch to you for a strategy game you might want to try and play. Because Spike and I have played it against one another. Because it's it's legitimately just a two-player game, but it is a big one. War of the Rings. I know you just picked Second that up. So tell, me about, tell me about how that went, because I am excited to hear about that game. So the first time we attempted to play, we decided to also smoke like ribs and stuff. So like we were half-assing that. We'll skate by that example because we played it like halfway through just to understand the rules and then packed it away and called it a draw the first true attempt though happened a week ago real time if this is in february a really long time ago (laughs) but so we decided to go against the normal grain of our uh standard approaches when it comes to strategy i am usually the more thoughtful restrained and i guess defensive style when it comes to strategy games or like I enjoy making quick tactical strikes. I don't go for the full war strategy ever. And Spike, on the other hand, is known for being excessively aggressive. So obviously we decided to switch roles and Spike was the free people, you know, the race of men and elves and dwarves and hobbits and shit. And I was the unending legions of evil of the goblins and the Orakai and Sauron's forces. And we decided to try and play this. And this is really a very much so war game. But on top of it, while the legions, it's like a 200, 300 piece plastic game. I have seen it before, and it is impressive in in so, scope and size. So, the way the good guys win, you either A, get only four victory points. So, if you somehow militarily are able to, like, branch out and capture enough the Sauron's, like, strongholds to get four victory points, you win. Or, conversely, you get the one ring to Mordor. Like in the movie. All right. Sauron and my forces, I either get 10 victory points and just swarm over the map and capture strongholds, or I corrupt the ring bearer. A la I movie. Like it. Yeah. So the catch is if you're the good guys, you have like, I believe you start off with like four dice. And depending upon what you roll in those dice, those are the actions you can take. Whether it's muster army forces, move your armies and or attack with them. There's like a wild side and then there's a side for your hero characters to do things. Which is also the side that you can move the fellowship. Okay. Now on Sauron's side, I get seven dice (laughs) to start off with. I also have options to add more dice, but so does the good guys. But for the sake of argument, I have seven dice. Now, I can allocate however many dice I want to hunt for the ring. And then I use the rest to invade and take over Middle-Earth. Okay. So, as Spike and I played, I conquered Gondor. I took over Helm's Deep. That kind of... It it was a classic movie. 
The only difference was I also murdered the entire fellowship. Oh, shit. Like, guess what? Aragorn and Gandalf the White ended up in Gondor. They didn't survive this time. (laughs) Oh, no. No, no. Gondor fell and they got they got they got murked. But poor Gondor. But their sacrifice wasn't necessarily in vain because they ulti- uh, the ring got to Mordor. But once you get on Mor- once you get there, there's a track. So during the game, as the hunts are going on each turn, if I successfully find them, I get to pull a hunt tile out of a bag, like a, a cup or whatever. And depending upon what random one I pull out, or I either expose the fellowship and I know where they're at, or I pull out like a number tile, and that's how much corruption they take. Okay. And depending upon how much corruption they get, it'll either either have to take the corruption, and once you get to 12, I win, or they kill someone off. Okay. So by the time they got to Mordor, it was Gollum leading Frodo and Sam. And, and- I had successful... I was, weirdly enough... Garbage in combat again. Shocker. But, but when I had to roll the hunt dice to succeed, you had to roll six a six to succeed. I would throw one. I would throw one, two, or three dice, depending. Most of the time, nine times out of ten, it was there was always one six. Like there was legitimately only two times where I didn't find the fellowship. So they were wrecked by the time they got to Mordor. And okay. I ended up catching them almost immediately. And then we're like, you know what? He's like, oh, I missed this one thing that Gollum can do. And so we we needed to get, negate it. And he got a whole other like space and a half before I then murdered the fellowship again. Oh, oh that sounds good. We're definitely going to have to play that at some point. Oh, yeah. No, I know, I know you're not a huge fan of combat, but it is... Yeah, and that sounds like the type of game where like there are all other ways to win, which is really what I care about. Like I'll engage in combat still, but I like to know that even if I win through combat, there are other ways for me to win. Oh, if the, I the, don't feel like the the other flavor you'll love. So both sides, you know, you have your plastic pieces you start off with, and you have reinforcements. The good guys, every time one of them die, you just put that back in the box. Because they're dead forever. Okay. If you kill one of my gerblins, my gerblin just goes back to my reinforcement, and then I can just put them back out again. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, that, there, I, is that an, makes sense. there is an infinite supply of Sauron's gerblins. You got all the gerblins and orcs you need. I got an army of gerblins that I just send waves and waves at until you're gone. So the one game, and it looks like it's actually finally back in stock, so I might pick a copy up so we could play it sometime. Uh, I played this game not too long ago with Brian from Saturday Night Strategists called Undaunted. Undaunted. And it is a, it's a World War II two-player deck-building strategy game. So there's a whole lot of qualifiers there. Uh, but oh, it's yeah. a really neat. Like, you have different scenarios that you can set up, uh, and it instructs you how to set up this map with a bunch of different locations and depending on the like if you're doing the storming of normandy versus other other battles and campaigns and such there are different wind conditions one side is playing the allied forces one side is playing germany 
mm-hmm. and you have uh, essentially different different unit cards. So you've got like scouts, riflemen, machine gunners, and then like captains and such. And you build a deck of those and you draw it and it lets you move your units around the map. So like scouts are better at moving than riflemen, but riflemen are better at attacking. And then you get cards that let you like maybe activate abilities of your of your soldiers more than once. And as you explore the map, you add Fog of War cards to your deck, which are just dead cards in your deck. So, like, you have to balance exploring the map with actually engaging with your mission objectives. But it's a really, it's a really neat, like, very kind of simple, stripped down strategy game. And I had a lot of fun playing it. And I really want to try more. Like, we played the very first campaign scenario in the book. And there are, I think, like eight or ten scenarios uh, that come with the book. And like I said, each one gives you a different map setup and gives you different objectives for whichever team. So you might need to control a certain number of points, or you may need to kill a certain number of units. But it's just a really interesting little two-player game uh, that gives you a lot of a kind of shocking amount of strategy for a deck builder, where you know deck builders have some like all, all almost all board games have some level of strategy to them yeah. um deck builders i think tend to often have I, I think the least amount of strategy or or the least amount of strategy that you can like truly interact with other players with like you will have a strategy that you develop in a deck builder that you're hoping will lead you to victory but deck builders don't tend to involve the other players as much so like my strategy isn't defeating you and i'm not making strategic decisions to defeat you i am instead seeing like what cards i have available to me that create the best path to victory and that's not always the case you have games like eschaton that involve the com- the battle map which introduce more strategy in the in the way that we're kind of talking about strategy but overall, like I said, I think deck builders tend to be the least sort of strategic of board games. Yeah, I mean, I guess with those is once you're an experienced deck builder, you get you know what the engines are and you build that. And then there is a bit of RNG depending upon what you get in your hand. Yeah, and most games have most deck builder games have some type of RNG as far as like what cards are available to you. Like Eschaton has the uh, the Arcana deck. Ascension has like the buy the middle row of buy cards, and then there's the RNG of just shuffling the deck and never knowing exactly like what order you're going to get the cards in. So like you build engines where you're like, all right, this card works really great with this card. But because the deck is shuffled, you have no guarantee that you're going to get those cards together. And when you do get them, it's awesome. But like, it's never a guarantee that you're going to get them. Yeah. So the, like, it is riddled with RNG in a way. And like, like I said, I, I find that deck builders, I think, tend to be like you have you have a style that's or a play style that you're going to figure out that will lead you to victory. But they tend to be less strategic in the strategic sense of like you and I are interacting and I'm trying to think I'm kind of trying to outthink you and outmaneuver you. There's less of that kind of interaction in deck builder games. Yeah. 
Whereas Undaunted is a deck builder where that is pretty much entirely what you're doing is you're using the cards you draw to decide how you're going to interact on the map with the other player. Which is interesting because it combines, like, I love deck builders. I grew up playing Magic, so I have, a, I have a soft spot for deck builders. But Undaunted is a nice way to both play a deck builder and play a strategy game. And for a while, so they actually, I think they finally just released, they did uh, a sequel to Undaunted, which is, yeah, it looks like that's out now, called Undaunted North Africa. So it's its own standalone game that uses the same style of mechanics, but is in uh, the North African theater as opposed to Normandy. Nice. But originally, Undaunted Normandy was out of stock all over the place, so it was impossible to find a copy that wasn't like 80 or $90. And it looks like they finally <sighs> released a new a new round, so it's back down to like 30 bucks. So I might pick up a copy. It does sound interesting, and I would play that. Yeah, that would be a nice, and it's a nice, uh, relatively quick, I think we played the scenario in like 45 minutes to an hour, and that was with me never having played before, so. Yeah, sadly, um, most of the games I like are convoluted, giant messes that require not just multiple people, but obscene amount of time. Yeah, I think that can be the toughest thing about a lot of, like... There are very few strategy games that are like, oh, we're just going to play this in a like, quick 45-minute jaunt into the strategy game. Which, I mean, chess chess is a, a, you know, a perfect example of a strategy game that plays pretty quick. But most, most of the strategy games we tend to play, and I think a lot of the best strategy games, are those big, you know, you're lucky if you get done in three or four hours. Yeah. You know, Twilight Imperium is generally somewhere between five <sighs> and seven hours. Depending upon if people are experienced playing, how many people you got playing. Ugh. Yeah, Axis and, and Allies is another one. And especially, like, Axis and Allies, I find the more experienced the players, the longer the game takes. Yeah, because you know all the tricks. With Twilight Imperium, you can at least streamline it where you're not sitting there hemming and hauling over decisions. Yeah, whereas Axis and Allies, you get a bunch of people who have played a bunch of Axis and Allies, and you're looking at you know, probably a 10-hour game. I don't know how many games of Axis and Allies I've started and walked away from only to come back later to finish. Because, you know, our our Friday night where we sat down at 6 p.m. to start playing, and all of a sudden it's midnight, and we're like, all right, like, this game is nowhere near over. It was not enough time, apparently. Take a, yeah, the six-hour six game night was not good enough, so let's take a picture of the map and Maybe come we'll back. get back to it. So it is uh, another nice thing about like Undaunted is that you know you can play a, a round of Undaunted in like an hour. How how long have your War of the Rings games been? Actually, uh, the second the the first official game we played after we like, had a game where we understood the rules and everything. Yeah, it took us about twenty minutes to a half hour to set up. Okay, and that's not we were terrible. we were done in between three and four hours. All right, so that's not, so not too terrible. Bad. That's uh, yeah. that's on a similar vein. One of the other strategy games that I've really enjoyed that I want to play some more of is Star Wars Rebellion. So it sounds like it's kind of in that that it, mid mid range strategy it, game. Star Wars Rebellion would remind you very similar to War of the Rings in the idea, not necessarily mechanically, where you have all these different forces, but you know, you have the Empire, which 
has more is spread out. And then the rebellion, like their trick is they hide their base. So you don't know where you're looking and you're trying to distract the empire from actually finding you that kind of thing. That's awesome. Yeah, I would definitely like to. I I, I want to try War of the Ring, and I definitely want to play some more Rebellion because Rebellion I was a. It, it's one of those games where like it took forever, and uh, like in the long run, Spike and I ended up coming pretty close to winning. Oh yeah, that's because Josh um, and I just got super distracted because we were doing all. It's like oh, we got to do these missions and stuff. No. We don't need to do any of this nonsense. Yeah, just find the rebellion and Because it was a game where for the first hour and a half, I was convinced there was zero chance we were going to win. And the ironic thing was, I was sitting there with Josh, and I'm like, if it were me, I'd put the base on this planet. And then we promptly forgot about it, and we ended up finding the base on that planet. (laughs) Yep. But yeah, like that was, and it it captured the feeling of the, I I feel like, of being the rebel force very well. Because I was, I was convinced there was no way we could possibly win. And then there was like an hour where I, I, like, I wasn't convinced we were going to win, but I saw a path. You had hope. (laughs) uh, To which we could potentially win. And then when we ended up losing, I mean, it was, I think, if you hadn't found us that round, we would have won the next round. Yeah, it was Um, some ridiculously close. It was shockingly close, and it was just a really interesting and fun game um, that I definitely want to play some more of. It's just, again, one of those games where you know it's going to take like three or four hours, which is... It's going to take your night. Yeah, which is, you know... On the the shorter side of heavy strategy games, yeah, uh, but it's still a lot of time commitment, which is like I would like to investigate maybe. And if people are listening and they know of more short strategy games, like I would love to try some more out because I do I like strategy games, and I think part of the reason why I'm hesitant to say that they're my favorite genre is because they require so much as far as people and time, and so like. I like playing them, but it is it takes effort to make them happen. Now, a shorter uh, strategy game that I've only played digitally since the quarantine, Root. Have you played Root? Oh, Root is a that is a pretty quick one. I love Root. I want to. I need to buy the the digital version so we can play. I've played it once at PAX 2019. Yeah, and it was I I enjoyed it a lot. Yeah, they so far have the base game out on Steam. The expansions haven't come out yet, which from from what I understand, people who have played them, it it gets better with certain expansions added to it. I can see that are like and I, I say this as the person who like handily won as the cats. I feel like in the base game, cats are a little a little favored to win. Well, that's be all right. So, to preface real quick for people who don't know what the hell we're talking about, Root, strategy game, not a surprise there, board game. There are, in the base game, you have four fact, up to four factions you can play. At the bare minimum, the first two you get are the Cats, or the Marquis de Cat, and you are the new upstart leaders of the forest. So, you have, like, cats everywhere. And the way you win is by building more structures 
to amass points. Then the other side is the the Irie dynasty, the birds. The difference with them is, to harken back to deck builders, you have to choose a leader. And through the mechanics of the game, you basically have to get an engine down where you have to accomplish the same tasks every round. Because the moment you don't, you stop scoring points and then you lose points and then you have to appoint a new leader. Slightly more complicated than the cats. Then above them, the Woodland Alliance. You're the poor downtrodden mice, foxes, and you're the little people. And no joke, you are the, the leading rebellions against the two primary factions where you're gaining sympathy and all of your turns are like the reverse, where everybody does stuff during the day. No, your fighters attack at night and you're burning, burning down like buildings and stuff. And then, of course, the last faction is probably the weirdest one. You're the Vagabond. You're playing like an RPG in the strategy game. You're like the lone raccoon who's going on adventures. And you might be helping the different factions or hurting them, depending upon the situation. And that's how you gain points. It's so awesome. I really, I, I, I want to play. So I played the cats the one time I played. I really want to try the Vagabonds. You get to be a little trash panda that goes on adventures. Oh, you have uh, options. All, yeah, all of the pieces are super adorable. It's all sorts of cute woodland animals. And it's interesting. So le- letter games, leader games, I'm not sure which, which pronunciation it is. They also make the game Vast, which we played at SNS the one time. Yes. And their, their shtick is asymmetrical strategy games where each player has a different strategy of how they want to win. And I really like, like, as opposed to deck builders, like I was saying, where there's not a lot of interaction between players, the leader game style of asymmetrical strategy game, there's a ton of interaction between the players. But each of you is trying to accomplish something very different, which I think is a really cool, a, a really interesting way to make games and something that seems to be becoming a little bit more popular with the success of Root. Yeah, because I do enjoy asymmetrical games which wasn't a style in board games i think that was kind of born in the video games area where you had like you know the one killer and the four people trying to get away from them but now that they've they've started to incorporate that into the board game genre at least fragrantly there have been examples where it's kind of asymmetrical but it's more of the hidden role style. Yeah. So you've, you've got like fury of Dracula and letters to white chapel, which are kind of like the earliest examples of pseudo asymmetrical games, but they're not completely asymmetrical because like all of the players playing the heroes in both letters to white chapel and fury of Dracula are playing the same game. They're playing the same way. They more closely mirror those kinds of video games where you know one person is Dracula and four people are the people hunting Dracula. And so yeah. like Dracula is playing a different game than the other four players, but those other four players are playing the same game. Yeah. For the video game players, it's that's a la Dead by Daylight, the the less smooth Friday the thirteenth one. It's just just some or no, what is it? Not Friday the thirteenth. What was the 
No, that's right. What's the one with Freddy? No, not Freddy. Jason. 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 Friday the 13th, right? Yes, yeah. Friday the 13th. Yeah, there's the Friday the 13th video game, which was basically Dead by Daylight, but the shitty version. Yeah. Yeah, and those are those are games I really want to try out sometime. I don't tend to play, like, FPS-style games all that often, so I haven't yeah. gotten them. I haven't played any of them. But, like, that, that to me feels like an FPS that I would play. You could get behind. Well, let because me know. Because like the idea of... Of playing both either the victim or the the slasher in a slasher film. Let me know, because I do own Dead by Daylight. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, I'll have to pick that up sometime soon, and we'll have to, we'll have to give it a go. Yes, and hunt each other down in the woods with four random people. Well, I think some of our friends, I believe, own that, so we could Shanghai them in. Yeah, yeah, that would be if we know five people, or how many ever people yeah. plays. We get randos on the internet. <laughs> God, God bless randos on the internet. But yeah, I think that that to me feels like a pretty good discussion of the strategy genre and oh, yeah. you know, of our, our favorites. So next week we'll come in, our next episode will come in, and we'll, uh, I don't think we have a, an idea quite yet, but we'll figure out another genre oh, that we yeah. can do a deep dive into and discuss some of our favorite games from that style. Uh, but thank you everyone for, for listening to us. Talk about cheat days and strategy games. They, those feel like they go well together as topics. Mm-hmm. And we'll be back in two weeks with with a new episode of the Strength Save podcast. We're going to save you. Thank you for listening to the Strength Save podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode. A reminder, if you like what you've heard so far, please rate and review us just to let other folks know. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at StrengthSavePod. Our theme song is Drunken Sailor by Dr. Octorok off the album Sham Rock. Check The Good Doctor out on Bandcamp. We'll be back in two weeks to talk more about health and games. Until then, keep doing what you're doing. You are awesome, and know that we believe in you. <laughs>